Help me! Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of F -f -f Frame Rate, where we are flies. Because you clicked the title of the episode, so you already know what we're talking about. And I don't sound crazy. I'm not crazy. <laughs> I'm not crazy at all. With me, as always, oh, I'm Michael Swain. But we, oh, and this is the show where we rate frames. <laughs> but with me, as always, is my Abe name, Epperson. Damie. Abe Epperson. Yeah. Say that again. I'm Abe Epperson. You're Michael Swaim. It's We Rate Frames. Everyone's got it. It all rhymes. There's names and names. And speaking of names, we have a third name for you to memorize, and that is as follows, colon. Do That's I you, say, Dave. Do <laughs> I say my name? <laughs> yeah, please. Hi, I'm Dave. All right. Hi, no, thanks for having me on. <laughs> I guess that's all we get. I'm very excited. David Christopher Bell in full. Hi. Um, they, they, and it's on the title. It's it's the. It's true. Yeah, they know. You'll they know a, what's up. I'm glad that we've accomplished everything that someone can read from yeah. a title. You'll have a parenthetical we're... credit. Uh, <laughs> that's true. I think we did a great job. You we're guys. not wasting their time. At well. All. It's our first time doing this with every single member being remote, because if you're a small bean follower, I guess if you're a small bean, I should say, uh, you know that I took a new job that involved me moving away. So this is our first um, fully remote recording experience. Hopefully you don't notice much of a difference, but I think I've already proven that wrong. <laughs> it's freeing. You get used to it because you get you don't have to wear pants you don't have to look nice. You don't have to look people in the eyes. There's it's there's something very freeing about doing it remote. Once you get like the pacing of not seeing like visual cues of another person, that's what's tricky. Yeah, you get you do get used to it though. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'm because I I mean I couldn't move my finger fast enough to mute my cam feed because we're doing this over Google Hangouts and I was like. I look like shit. I'm in my like, robe and nothing else. Yeah, I did not expect Dave to see my video feed at any point, and I just had it's to fine. quickly. You looked fine. It's fitting for the. It's fitting for the topic. It is. Because um, we are covering. Oh, and I should say this is uh, part of our patron requested tier called uh, Pick the Flick. I always say Flick the Pick for some reason, but. Um, <laughs> This was a picked flick by a patron, uh, and it is 1986's The Fly, famously with Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis, and not to be confused with the one that I quoted at the top of the episode. Yes, not to be confused with what I would argue is the way better one. You think the old black and white The Fly is way better than the well, 1986 Cronenberg Fly? Yes, it's also not black and white. It's like... Uh, oh, it is in my memory. Okay. Yeah, it's it's 1958. It's uh I think way better. Like above and beyond. I hate to do this okay. in public, but I don't trust you. <laughs> um, I listen to every Gamefully Employed episode and I often get burned by your movie recommendations. <laughs> Well, would you like me to explain my work? So exactly. I'm like, I need you to unpack that. Explain okay. why before I'll believe you. Carte blanche. It's the horror for ex the horror is way better because okay. the, the premise behind the original film, it's more of a mystery. It starts with the death of her husband right away. They, they make it that it's a, it's a husband and wife with a kid. So the emotional connection is immediately better and it's more horrific in the f sense that she helps mercy kill her husband and then the movie is vincent price trying to figure out why that happened and there's a lot it's a lot more psychologically hor horrifying because the whole time they're trying to figure this out she keeps obsessing over flies in the room if she sees a fly she's like we have to get that fly and mm -hmm. no one knows why and it's because she knows somewhere out there there's a fly with her husband's head and that's so much freakier as a, as a core premise. The idea of they swapped bodies and heads and it's like, it, it, and it's like this lost animal that you're trying to find, but everybody's swatting flies around you and you can't yeah. quite explain it. And everybody thinks you're crazy. Like it's, it's a lot more of that aspect than just look how gross he's becoming. 
Yes. Okay. So to get to strike at the core of this, because it is a Cronenberg film and one of the early ones. And if you don't know Cronenberg, uh, Abe, help me out. Jacob's Ladder, Scanners. <laughs> Jacob's Ladder. Videodrome. Didn't he do Jacob's the effects for Ladder. Jacob's Ladder? Am I wrong? <laughs> It's just it's just a funny one to start with. <laughs> Why? Why? Classic Cronenberg. Because Cronenberg like, is known for like I don't know like creature. Yeah, he's video yeah, a- Like he he started in a certain place, but like I don't know. He's kind of known for uh, like creature features and like sci-fi and stuff. Naked Lunch, Scanners, uh, The Dead Zone. Existence, um, which did Matrix before the Matrix. Yeah. Oh yeah, Existence. Um, yeah. History of Violence. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Crash, where everyone, uh, oh, the yeah. people in the the main characters can only have sexual gratification during a dramatic car crash, which yeah. sounds very That's inconvenient. A, inconven- yeah. <laughs> yeah, inconvenient fetish yeah. for sure. Right. Yeah. He's he's definitely. Um, infatuated with horror he's infatuated with terror and he uh he seemed to especially in the 80s and earlier uh, to be entirely fascinated with like uh creature feature or at least from how we understand it like some kind of big set piece that is horrifying to look at um he's kind of you know chilled out in his older days oh yeah has he okay well i mean Eastern Promises and History of Violence. He just replaced you know, um, all that yeah. with, you know, Vigo. So. History of Violence, I haven't seen Eastern Promises, but my understanding is it's similar. The periods where violence finally does come, he still goes at it with a similar gusto. This guy loves um, not just gore and blood and killing, although that's what's mostly in Eastern Promises and History of Violence, but Cronenberg yeah. has a very specific fetish I would call it, I don't know if it's just a creative uh, vein that he mines, but it really seems like a legit fetish. Like, I don't like he's weirdly obsessed with the idea of flesh flowing like water and melding with other flesh. The word flesh is like 800 Mm -hmm. times in this screenplay. You don't need to say flesh this much, even in a movie about a guy who becomes a fly. Yeah, I think of (laughs) flesh and I think of slothing. Slothing yeah. off, sloughing flesh, sloughing. Yeah, fle- yeah. I think. See, if of- Cronenberg was listening, he'd be he'd be coming right now. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And rubbing yeah. it into his flesh. Yeah. And um, let's move Canadian. on. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> while we're talking about cum flesh, I f- looked it up and want to thank specifically Aaron Booten. <laughs> thank you for uh, picking the flick and having yeah. us talk about. Uh, uh, Goldblum's cum flesh. Yeah. But basically, it's just to fill people in who don't know either story. The original movie, 50s film, uh, in both cases, they're about a scientist who creates teleportation. And in both cases, it, the twist is what if a fly flew in during the teleportation process? In the old movie, and I gotta say, I love the scientific naivete of the 50s that they'd be like, well, you'd, I'll tell you what would happen. The fly head would go on the guy's body, and the the guy's head would go on the fly body. Bada bing, bada boom. That's science, my friend. (laughs) He also has a fly arm, to be fair. So he has a fly head and one fly arm in the original? Okay. Yeah, I I also want to, not to take objection, but just to, you know, kind of weigh in on Dave's uh, initial kind of... um, you know, not critique. I don't know. I even know what the. You, you just talked for a bit, and I just sat there and listened. <laughs> so whatever now. the fuck that was. Uh, <laughs> but like, I I don't think there needs to be a comparison. Although obviously we like to do that as a society. They're two vastly different things. They're pretty like, different. Yeah. To me, I, the first one is like the kernel of the story. It's definitely taking from Kafka's Metamorphosis and like a lot of things, as this is because it's the same source material. Um, ultimately though, this film is a triumph because of loudly different things. And by that, I mean, it's a, it's Wallace's show and Wallace will be a name that you, um, Chris Wallace, who's the guy who did the actual fly creature 
and is the makeup artist and won the uh -huh. Oscar for it. Like, so that's what makes the fly amazing is that it's like, this shit was a low budget. They knew what they were doing in terms of, um, you know, it's like a, basically a, a drama play with three people. Obviously there's different roles. Uh, and there's a few other, you know, random events. I wanted that to, yeah, it's extremely stripped down. Watching it's it this so time, my main takeaway was like, holy shit, this has like four locations and three characters. There's yeah. basically, this could be a play if you had a good right. enough effects or costume person. And it was, so it was shot in Tur like Toronto, I want to say, and it had a budget of $15 million and it made a box office of $60 million, which is, you know, especially yeah. for a small 400 something like profit. that in the yeah. 86 like this is that's that's pretty damn good and it's made a shit ton after that because it's a cold hit um it the reason you watch the fly 1986 version and the 58 version are two completely different things one is i i think as dave said very well like psychological agree. horror yeah i want to hear dave rebut this when you're yeah, done rebut. But go ahead but, go ahead but in no, keep rebutted. going. Keep going. Yeah, no, no, it's no, not no, a thought. full rebuttal. Complete, or anything, complete I mean. thought. End of sentence. The fly. You watch it for two reasons. Well, what can you identify? Like, what's so? The first one is true horror. You watch it to be scared. Is Psychological that... horror. Yeah. It's no. It's also body horror, though. It it starts with his head crushed in the in the press at their factory, and if you go back and watch the the that scene where she assists her husband in crushing his own fly head she has to crush it twice to make sure he's dead and they don't show it and that's so much more horrifying that scene where she crushes her husband's head twice his arms twitching way more like viscerally horrific than and you're anything talking the in 50s, the remake which is nuts yeah it's crazy but early I, same for with that the, level of grim horror yeah the spider web scene too like right, it's, the, the makeup effect scene. isn't as good but the expression on his face his little pitiful pitiful help voice help and then the fact that he gets mercy <laughs> killed with a rock and it's just like that's chilling it's it's I find it so much more on a visual level chilling. Like but the, wait, oh hold on. But is that okay. body horror though? Especially I mean the spider web scene I can see, but it, like because they don't show it because it's all about the terror of thinking about doing this to your spouse as opposed to what if you and, were a fly you'd and be the so editing around it of everything that's the, scary yeah it is body horror because the the it's the same premise which is that he's horribly disfigured from a experiment and you can't tell where he begins and the fly ends because um, he I, seems yeah. to have this uh, personality as both the fly and as the person but I would say that's why the 80s one even if both are body horror, the 80s one, I think you'd grant is even more obsessed with the body part of body horror. Yeah. Because the premise is explicitly different. Like, to me, the fact that my head and my arm became fly head and arm is horrifying. But it's discreet. In, right. In the 86 Cronenberg fly, um, Goldblum's DNA, it takes a more Jurassic Park view of the situation. The fly DNA invades your DNA, so you become a man fly, which they end up calling Brundle Fly because his name is Seth Brundle, in, an, in a way that can't even fully be predicted. And it's not like you just plug a fly head onto your body. You, right. become, a, you become a, again, <laughs> flesh soup of Cronenbergian yeah. fly man like you are you're a bizarre like avant-garde mix of man and fly and I guess I I want to give Cronenberg credit in the body horror genre because I feel like that's what we mean when we say body horror is that your DNA is going to be invaded by something like it goes back to the Kafka story you know the uh, metamorphosis mm -hmm. where he becomes a cockroach was my first experience with what I'd call body horror where you're like this is horrifying because it's so gross who right. thought of this what are they, what's wrong with them what's wrong with them why, <laughs> yeah. why do they exist yeah. I guess comparing the two, because you kind of have to compare, I at least I do in my mind because it's well, a remake. Yeah, they're called the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> is that it reminds me of, say, the remake of The Haunting versus, versus the original, um, where the original doesn't show much, um, whereas the, the remake is like big CGI ghosts. And mm. I kind of, 
I I think it ruins it. Oh, well, like, I, yeah. I appreciate anyone stumping for the power of human imagination. I definitely think that's undervalued right now. Right. But um, but Cronenberg is not that. I, I appreciate that Cronenberg is being Cronenberg. And it's very interesting that Cronenberg's obsession is not Hitchcockian. It's almost anti-Hitchcockian. It's not saying, right. whoa, think about what's happening off camera. Your brain can imagine something more horrible than I could ever show. Cronenberg is like, I bet we could show it. No, let's yeah. show it. <laughs> uh, I think kind of aptly, uh, there's um, something that there was a uh, Sinister Image uh, interview in 87 where we actually get Vincent Price talking to Jeff Goldblum and sp- specifically about mm. what he thought about The Fly, which was that after it was remade, Jeff Goldblum wrote him a letter saying, I hope you like it as much as I like yours. Uh, Price then responded uh, that he thought <laughs> oh, like, <no. clears throat> he went to see it and he described it as uh, it's wonderful right up to a certain point. It went a little too far. But I think that that's the difference between gener. That's a generational difference. But especially I think they coming all from Vincent embrace. Price, who dedicated his mm. life to being scary. He thinks right. you went too far. Yeah, that's well, the thing. But I think that that's. I think that's a gen- like the reason I call it a generational difference is that like the newer generations often like the, or yeah the newer generations often take what the older generations do and they like refine a very specific aspect of it because they fall in love with these pictures and then they go like but like what if we did a crazy cool version of it that is like now with this this specifically the body horror stuff specifically with like special effects and makeup mm-hmm. because the technology is new and I have new tools to use and price is not like being a curmudgeon. I think price is being very smart here when he says it's wonderful to a certain point because he knows that the heart of the story is still in play. He's just saying it went too far in I think in his opinion, I'm putting this in, right. in you know, I'm putting words in his mouth, but it's just like, I think that what he means when it went too far, because it does go far. And I think we all, at a certain point, we all know what that point is. It's like at the climax, like you literally have like that, like you said, that cum flesh just slothing off. Yeah, for me, it was his eyeballs melting and flowing out of his skull. Yeah. Very believably. It was an awesome shot. (laughs) It's an amazing shot. It's awesome. And it's different. And it's fine. This is the question it's I have fun. for it's you guys, fine. though. Um, speak, I just got to inject this at this point. Uh, <laughs> produced by Mel Brooks, this film. <laughs> Who, Mel didn't produced? he keep, like, he did it with a lot of films of this era. Didn't he keep his name out of it in yes. order to, like, make That's, sure that people wouldn't be... It's he no did, like, like Hell Comes to Frogtown as well, right? Mel Brooks is under... Yes, he did. Mel Brooks is underappreciated as far as he really loved film and not just the only... Not just the genre of films he made. He loved all film. And he spent hella money supporting edgy, experimental film. God, what and a- not putting his name on it which what is pretty great cool guy. yeah yeah it's pretty what rad. a fucking great guy <laughs> yeah um so yeah silent producer of the fly mel brooks but nice. anyway you were saying i had a question do you guys here's here's my issue with body horror have uh, do, are you guys scared of body horror do you feel fear watching body horror um well well so that would be like hellraiser has some body horror what the thing, would be which is objectively thing, be an amazing horror. movie. Yeah, that's a great movie. But are you scared? No, I'm not scared of anything, no. Dave. Well, no, but okay, do you know anybody who's scared? I Yeah, I, everyone else. I see what you're getting at, <laughs> and I agree. In the sense that I, agree, I am yeah. scared of some types of horror movies, and it is true that the types of horror movies that really scare me lean way more towards the off-camera trick. Like yes. what scares me as an adult mm. with a fully functioning brain is going like, I know this version is fake, but it's a metaphor for getting AIDS and dying. I'm thinking of it follows. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that really could happen. And it really would be so fucking scary. And I work myself up and I get scared. Seeing a guy's head explode because a fly head is growing from the inside 
is gross, but doesn't scare me because it's so abstract. Like it's that's awesome. not going to happen to me. In fact, it's cool. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think <laughs> like you're hitting on a good point, Dave. The implications of a shot can be more horrifying and psychologically terrifying than a single haunting image of, you know, like something gross. Yeah. Like yeah. your arm re- in this film, like the famous scene where you're arm wrestling so hard that the guy's forearm <laughs> snaps think, in half and the bone sticks out. That right. makes me jump and, and cringe, it, but right. it doesn't make me as scared as finding out that someone who seemed like they really loved another character actually was only using them because I'm like, that could happen to me. That would I be so sad. You know, that's because, <laughs> uh, and the three of us being screenwriters, we all know that it takes a lot more work from the screenwriting, like appeal mm-hmm. to get one to work versus the other, you know? Mm-hmm. So one, I mean, one to one person, it's like a setup of dominoes that kind of like falls into place and then you go, oh, fuck, it's, that's a good right. uh, screenplay. And that's then another moment. one is to go like, and then hopefully, you know, like what a workshop will take care of it and will be fucking awesome. They both can coexist. I'm not saying anyone's arguing that they don't, but one is like a screenwriter's opinion of like how a looking at it like a filmmaker person. where it's yeah. like, okay, we're a collective and everyone's kind of bringing something to the fold. So I don't think it's a conversation more about what like works because they yeah, both because I think otherwise you're just arguing people. that writing is more important than building a cool rig of latex that shoots pus out. Well, and I would argue we can't really prove which of those things is better or more important than the other thing. People. Yeah, I would, yeah they're yeah. different disciplines. <laughs> but that that was the realization I came upon with this film is that unlike, say, The Thing, which has plenty of this body horror effects, right. mm-hmm. the this film, when you take away the practical effects, I don't think it's a very good story. I thought it was weirdly, it's like, okay, it's so bones. first of all, this movie cuts out the fucking second everything's resolved. Like, and I mean mm-hmm. resolved in a very concrete way. I was like, very surprised. I was like, oh. The fly's dead. She lives. He lives, but he's injured. Credits. And oh, it starts yes. with the fly just going, uh. Hey, you should uh, you should come back to my lab. We should um, talk more and have sex potentially. And um, it, it brings her to a it, warehouse. It has almost yeah, it, does. It, it has almost no plot points. And from a modern perspective, Gina Davis's behavior is insane. It's yes. uh, a guy she's never met that she's trying to interview at a science convention who's obviously crazy or like at least super yeah. intense goes like no 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 come back to my lab and she's like fine and they get there and it's like a filthy alley warehouse that seems abandoned and she's like this is all still fine and it turns out it is all fine in the sense that it's not what we in 2019 would be like is this some kind of horrible assault scenario playing out no a bunch of red flags around that are in play. I love that. As soon as they're quote unquote together, he's all he can think of it. He's like, yeah, that's really cool. Love you, baby. Get in the pod. (laughs) Just just get in the pod. Get Um, in the pod. Also, who keeps selling Jeff Goldblum baboons? Where is he getting? (laughs) Where's his baboon? Yeah. uh, I, I love specifically the second baboon that he teleports successfully that doesn't die he names he has mm-hmm. banter with like mm-hmm. he's come to love it i could understand him turning a bunch of baboons inside out if he doesn't bond with the baboons but he does bond with them and turn them inside out so i don't yeah. understand how goldblum thinks really or like what seth brundle's inner workings are i like to it's imagine kind of, he's like a real zuckerberg you know yeah kind of it's, sociopathic yeah. but like yeah it's it's kind of a nod to the original in the original it's a cat he doesn't turn it inside out and it's funnier. He it's there it it's he's testing the machine and he successfully transfers something and the cat walks in the room and he just like slowly looks over at the cat and then he just picks the cat up and shoves it in yeah. and the cat doesn't come back on the other side and instead you just hear echoing meows from like <laughs> 
from some shadow world the afterlife yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's it he's just like s- sent the cat into the air so yeah and- teleportation makes your vocal cords disperse into the air in such yeah. a way that you can yeah. like give a final like meow i'm out of here yeah. i'm I out of here i'm going to of- the place that no one talks about and is very much real yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, was, like- I always hope the rest of the film you just occasionally hear this like meow like echo from yeah yeah it's like a haunt it's a good old haunt uh by the way uh, because of how bare bones the uh the 86 version is Mm -hmm. when you look back at the events and you see you know jeff gold or brundle basically is now a dead brundle fly slash telepod look if you haven't seen it in one sentence he starts he uh he makes the teleportation device works but a fly flies in it blends their dna he slowly turns into a weird mix of man and fly at first he's addicted to the feeling of it it feels great finally it becomes a king kong scenario where he knows it's bad he fears for what his mind will become but at the same time he has super strength and shit and he's obsessed with capturing gina davis because she's pregnant with his fly child and in moments of humanity he says you got to kill me but in moments of fly manity he says i want the baby to exist i want the fly baby to exist Mm. and uh her ex-boyfriend stathis which is a whole other thing who's a terrible person but his name is stathis yeah um Comes back with a shotgun and gets injured by fighting the fly, but finally together they oh, kill the fly. Injured, small. <laughs> that's a well. I didn't want to steal all the choice moments, His but I wanted people who hadn't seen it yeah. to realize how fucking simple it is. Right, guy yeah. becomes a fly. They kill him because that's gross. Because the end. He's <laughs> yeah. unnatural, There's, et cetera, et cetera, or whatever. Uh, my point just being that at the end, because they strip everything away, and there's it's such a closed system for the movie and it works because there's only really three characters. There's auxiliary characters, including David, David Cronenberg playing the, uh, gynecologist. Uh, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Of course he'd play a gynecologist. Yeah. Uh, but Ronnie and Stathis are absolutely going to jail for murder after (laughs) this all ends. Oh yeah. Even though I know that doesn't happen in the fly Two, which is the sequel about the son of Brundlefly. But uh, it's just hilarious to me is that they totally just killed a guy, even though yeah. like there's some cop that like in plain clothes just arrives and is basically just like trying to do detective and he's like so uh, that's when he turned into a telepod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Oh yeah. This I is actually... all highly suspect. I'm pretty sure you just murdered and like put him in a blender or something. That also is very. Uh... I couldn't believe how Cronenberg this Cronenberg movie got in the sense that if you've followed his whole career, especially up to existence, I love existence, by the way. Um, The fact that the topper in this is the fact that the guy who's melded with the fly accidentally gets uh, the telepod gets triggered while he's halfway in and halfway out and the door is cracked. So instead it absorbs itself and it melds the human fly hybrid man with the telepod itself. So it's so gnarly, a nightmare of like flesh and wires and shit. And I'm just like, Cronenberg is such a specific kid I knew in junior high. I know exactly what he's like, that he's into all this shit. Eli Roth has the same kind of crazy eyes. I'm like, yeah, I know this guy. He hangs out in a particular section of the comic book store talking about body horror exclusively. It's all he's into. And he masturbates nine times a day. And he doesn't see the connection between those things, but I do. I do. (laughs) (laughs) How is, how are how are women characters treated in his other films? I've been trying to think about it, because Gina Davis in this, like she's just going from one abusive boyfriend to the next. Who Veronica (laughs) Quaife? Can I just point out in the credits, her last name is Quaife. Q U A I F. Yes. Good God. Veronica Quaife. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's a very regressive movie. If you're tracking it from like a 2019 perspective, it's crazy she, date rapey and all that stuff. I See, I would say it's even from a, a 1986 pers- perspective. It's like 
this the guy her editor ex-boyfriend is trash he's a trash can yeah that's true and he breaks into her apartment and showers and he's like obsessive and weird and then he's like dies a hero at the end and and it's it's weird because she just kind of goes back to him when brundlefly is getting too intense well she goes to him not for uh, romantic love but literally for physical help like and then he has to like yeah then he has to save her in the end i it just he does yeah it yeah, left a bad taste in my mouth because it was like, come on, have Gina well, Davis fucking figure this out. Speaking of bad Gina taste Davis. in your mouth, we did reference his injury, which we should, I think, explicate, which is that the Brundlefly vomits on his clenched fist, which dissolves it down to the <laughs> that bone. Was hardcore. That was rad. And then even worse, vomits a similar stomach acid type thing onto his ankle and gently pulls his foot off of his leg in a way that is truly, it looks painful. It like it does. It's like yes. Abe was saying. It doesn't make you feel fear, like the rush of adrenaline that accompanies fight or flight. It makes you just think, "Oh, that's gotta hurt." <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's the kind of horror this is. The oh, actor that looks hungry. rough. You know, yeah. like you want pasta. Mm. You want pasta when you watch The Fly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You want to just eat like a sloppy Slurp. plate. Is of that Alfredo? not how you eat pasta mm-hmm. by corrosively vomiting onto mm-hmm. your plate and? then regurgitating it up yeah i love yeah the recurring i just think very much like like metamorphosis which i think i honestly feel like david cronenberg would not be surprised to hear it compared to metamorphosis and probably had it in mind uh it is an interesting idea the introduction of this genre into mainstream film where it's just the idea and i'll have you know jacob's ladder does feature (laughs) A lot of body horror dream sequences that you don't remember That's when you true. think I back on it. But Cronenberg's uh, obsessed with this idea of like, what if your body was not your body? That would be scary. And I don't, I'm glad someone's doing it. It's interesting to me. I'm glad you the know, subgenre exists. I think this movie should have been made um, in the 2000s. Because mm. you know what? This movie, I, in uh, watching it again, I, I realized it's a good kind of response to is superhero movies it's spider-man he he gets fly dna in him which gives him the power of gymnastics mm-hmm. yep and it's like a superhero origin story it's kind of like then split it goes if he could horribly survive. wrong yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like it's like a spoof on spider-man it's it's right i was gonna actually i actually wrote that down too because we've seen like several spider-man origin sequences and obviously spider-man in order to be spider-man needs to swing from tall buildings and fight super foes but i love how subtle like the subtle slow reveal of his oncoming powers is so effective in this because he's just like He's getting amped up. He's just kind of like got a zest for life. He loves eating sugar. It, he feels he's, like he's on cocaine all the time. Yeah, he's popping his shirt off all the time and he's cut. <laughs> yeah. and, yeah, just pop uh, that top off. Jeff yeah, Goldblum. and then he's doing gymnastics. <laughs> and it's like the way they shoot the gymnastics, it's clearly just like they got a, a good gymnast to come in and do some Oh, yeah. That was not squirrels. Jeff. Yeah. I know nothing about gymnastics. But, I, uh, I'm hoping Jeff Goldblum was doing like full... 720 yeah. backflips on yeah. the set of the fly. And it's <laughs> equally as effective to me than, you know, CG Spider-Man, you know, yelling woo as he goes across like the the fucking New York streets. skyline, yeah. Yeah, it's it's like they're both have their place. I'm not trying to like oh, I say tweeted one's over the other, but the first thing I did when those credits started roll is I tweeted, and I want to say this on the record because I stand by it. I can't stop thinking about it. Darkman versus The Fly, Brundlefly Ooh. specifically, would be the fucking best graphic novel. Like I would, I would collect that graphic novel That's instantly. Yeah. Um, if, for people who don't know, Darkman is the Sam Raimi precursor to. There was this funny period before we had CG and before Marvel and DC were giving away rights to things that outside of Batman and Superman. Directors who grew up loving comic books would just make something up or take a shitty, shitty property like The Phantom from the 30s or The Shadow and try to make Mm -hmm. it 
a real superhero movie for like the 80s 90s era it never fucking worked out but sam raimi made dark man and it's one of the better ones from that weird like random superhero era and the dark man should fucking fight the fly i don't know 100%. why but there's something right about that yeah <laughs> hell yeah i like that i like i like how your brain works Swain. and i also think it's worth pointing out that there are there is truly a very affecting dialogue in this screenplay there's also dialogue that makes me wonder about Cronenberg's state of mind, but um, wow. there's other dialogue that I'm like, that's very there. It's poignant. It's insightful. It's uh, creepy in a way I haven't experienced before. Um, the I'll hurt you if you stay scene is great. That's what I mean is there's stuff that really actually punched me in the heart, like made me sad. Yeah. Um, when he says, you got to have the baby. It's just, I just, you got to have the baby. That's why I'm doing this. You're going to have the baby. And she goes, I can't have the baby. I can't have the baby. I'll kill it myself if I have to. And he goes, too bad. Too bad. That mm. like broke my heart. That was right. a really good scene. Yeah. On, on the flip side, I do want to discuss Gina Tavis's pillow talk, oh. which was, I just want to eat you up. That's why old ladies pinch babies' cheeks. Mm -hmm. The flesh makes you crazy. To which Jeff Goldblum should have stood up and went, I'm sorry, what What did you just say to me? <laughs> what oh, the yeah. fuck did you just say? That's uh, And vice versa, though. That's what gives it yeah. the Cronenberg feel. Only in Cronenberg world do adults accept that talk from other adults. Because yeah. uh, he says to her, she goes, what went wrong? I think it, uh, I believe it turned the baboon inside out. Why? It must be my fault. Why? Because computers are dumb. They only do what you tell them. I don't yes. know enough about the flesh. I will have to learn about the flesh. <laughs> and at that point again, Gina Davis should go, all right, so long. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to head out. I'm going to yeah. leave this warehouse now. <laughs> yeah. Because about? you're lazy with your articles. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're calling I'm, it the flesh. <laughs> I need to learn about the flesh. That's Why does it have to be the? You could have just said so, learn about flesh. <laughs> you could have said it. Skin. Just anything. But now Can, here we are. <laughs> now here we are. Uh, did you uh, guys actually the, watch um, the um it's on the dvd as well i assume it's on the blu-ray uh it's also on youtube the in infamous cat monkey scene uh that they hmm. cut did you guys watch that no, no but i from the cat slash monkey i have an idea of does, what it could be does he put yeah. well basically what it is is it's um there's a deleted scene where uh basically brundlefly fuses a cat and the 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 baboon the same baboon mm -hmm. and just to see what happens because he's like learning how okay so what happens with hybrids yeah. so it's just like a logical like iteration of his mental state of like so is this what's going to happen to me um and he then beats it to death with a lead pipe uh because Jesus. it's like kill me because <laughs> uh, it's a monster they screened it uh and fairly early on and uh, I thought that this is this is the, a really good producer. So the, there's a producer named uh, one of the producers of the film, Stuart Kornfeld, uh, felt that the audience like didn't like it. They obviously didn't uh, after sc the test screening. Uh, and his reason why was this: is that there's no turning back for Seth at that that point, and they lost all sympathy because quote. If you beat an animal to death, even a monkey cat, your audience is not going to be interested in your problems anymore. They aren't wrong. They That's aren't so wrong. funny. Because it's, well, like, it's like hideously like screaming like, ah! Yeah. It's got sc yeah. shrill screams. It's got multiple mouths. So look and like, that one up. of them is a howling cat and one, and of, one of them is a monkey. Baboon. And uh, there was a scripted but never filmed segment that ends it also uh, that a homeless lady is... Uh, basically screaming after uh, he's f f she finds Brundlefly feeding out of an open dumpster. Yeah, and then he mm -hmm. grabs her, disintegrates her face with vomit drop. Which is, I'm yeah. so glad they didn't do that scene because it comes as such a surprise in when the he actual does it edit to the now guy, to that his vomit us. is horrifying. Yeah, and then after he finishes feeding on the woman's corpse, and this is kind of what we're talking about with like psychological terror versus like body horror. 
there's a moment that I'm sure would have been lovely to film, which is Brundle flies humanity emerges for just a moment. And it's, this is all scripted. This oh, is and so he it, reacts and he, just as enough you would for him if to you realized you did that. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes back to business, you know, like wow. it's, that would be a great scene where he's that got, like, is great holding the stump horror. of an uh, old lady. And then, and then suddenly you see his eyes clear and starts to hyperventilate and go, what the fuck? What the fuck? And then it goes back to being and then a it fly. Goes back. That's, yeah, that's pretty great. Yeah. But they chose not to do it for the same reason that they cut the cat monkey sequence. Is that it's they just feel like too They wanted rough. to go whole hog <laughs> on, like, this right. bittersweet kind of ending for Brundlefly. Like, Exactly the reason that we like that. The, well, the he begs for death, so you like, imagine that he is somewhat human deep inside because he wants inside, to die. Yeah. yeah, because that makes him sympathetic. It's yeah. not just an absolute. He's King Kong. By the end, yeah. it's King Kong essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I. It's interesting that I just thought the way they handled Jeff Goldblum before he Seth Brundle before he becomes the Fly. It became impossible for me to tell when he became a dick. Like when he goes to the bar and does the arm wrestle and he's like, and if I win, I get to take your girlfriend home, like treating the woman like, and then he does it and she's down for it. Like you chick in this bar, you're a prostitute. I'm strong. I'm going to win you. And you're going to go fuck me in my warehouse. And she's like, okay. And um, women, women, it's not a great representation in this film. And it's hard to tell how much of that is Seth. Cause he was a, cause even in the opening image with Gina Davis, he's a creep. It's hard to tell how much is the fly and how much he's just an asshole. Cause he he's clearly like, invented teleportation to fuck chicks. That's like, I, that's my takeaway from the arc of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he very, in a very high pressure way is like, Hey, you're a woman. Come back to my warehouse. I invented teleportation. Doesn't that make you horny? Uh, he does it as he does it with Gina Davis, and then he does it with uh, random lady that he wins you through arm wrestling. You can't blame him because Gina Davis does seem pretty horny it's for impressive. the teleportation at the beginning. It is. It's very impressive. Yeah, I get it. Um, She's wet for science. Like she, she's immediately like into it. Gina you know Davis is wet dating, for news, right? for actionable news. She cares about it very much. Mm. Oh, at that time, at uh, the time, in fact, they they were looking for uh, Jennifer Jason Lee mm-hmm. uh, and Laura Dern were both considered for Veronica. Uh, the producers wanted an unknown, which is what Gina Davis was at this point. Yeah. And uh, Goldblum suggested Gina Davis. And then once well, she read, uh, you know, Cronenberg was like, yeah, that's the yeah. one. Yeah. So just on a sheer script level, though, I just don't get some of it. Or ha- like, um, well, she's just met this man. She goes back to his house, which oh, yeah. turns out to be an abandoned warehouse. The first thing he does is play piano. And she goes, uh, I forget what, what she, oh no, she tries to leave. She literally tries to leave. She goes, yes. well, that's about that. I'm going to leave. And he goes, no, no, it's too late. You've already seen the pods. I can't you let you leave here alive. You would run right. out of the fucking room at that point. Anyone yeah, I would. Mean, yeah. I would, I really need to stress. I don't think this is a well-written movie. Um, I think there it's are the moments. the writer of Dragonheart and Psycho 3, by the way. Hey, Dragonheart fucking rules. Mm-hmm. But, like, <laughs> one of the things... Get the fuck sure. out. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the things that struck me was his revelation about the flesh and the computer. Do you remember what the revelation is? Gina Davis gives that pillow talk, uh, and, he, yeah. and he does a Independence Day, oh, a cold moment. Um, and he tells her... He's like, this is it. The computer isn't crazy for the flesh. That's right. So I have to teach it to be crazy for the flesh. He says the reason it's, like, yeah, it's a breakthrough like House would have, where he's like, of course, the computer is yeah. not teleporting correctly because I haven't taught it the poetry of being crazy for the flesh. And right. you're like, what the fuck is that supposed to be? Well, from what I can <laughs> yeah. tell, he means I haven't programmed it to figure this out yet and it's like yeah no shit i thought the problem was how it's a computer like, he's program. like oh yeah. i got it <laughs> i type things into the computer and it'll change the computer and it's like are we we're really at that like we're yeah i thought it was that behind in the I, revelation i thought it was that he had to model because it comes about because they eat a steak and they talk about how 
a steak is just dead flesh, but the experience is so much more complex than just a hunk of dead flesh. And I understand that in a poetic sense, but in a scientific sense, there's no way to make it make sense. There's no yeah, way. From that, That's he's like, sci-fi. Oh, I need to program the telepod to lust for flesh in the way a man enjoys a steak. Yeah. And you're like, well, what does that mean on a programming yeah. level? What are you talking end, it's, about? Yeah, this it's is, like ex machina problems. It's um, any problem with intelligence of computers. You know, it's like, oh, I just have to teach it to be sentient. Like, yeah, is, and you're like, oh, it's just that. Oh, so okay, it's go like, ahead. So they're gonna, of course, <laughs> yeah. they're gonna hyperdrive their way out of that problem. Right. I wouldn't say that Star Trek on in mass is a poorly written, you know, like franchise just because it just says like, well, how does it go faster than light? Uh, they have a thing. It's called this is this is where I it's called faster credit. light. Yeah. <laughs> This is where I think the 1958 film is so much better because if you his lab in that is all cheesy 50s science shit, much like this one, it's all cheesy 80s science shit mm-hmm. where it's like neither have figured out how computers actually are work. ultimately going to work in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but the difference is the 1958 fly doesn't try. They're just like, yeah, it's a machine. That's and like that's he, he pulls a switch. Yeah. It's almost more defensible. It, yeah, it's yeah, more, it, immediately more defensible because you you know like you're not opening up the questions that you can't answer. Yeah, which a and good film opens up questions, but then you know things that aren't answerable, it doesn't try to answer them. But it's right. an exercise in you know like that's my broader point is the it's an exercise in look at this fucking. We got this guy Chris Wallace. He made uh, he made Gremlins, and he fucking look at what he can do. Look at this yeah. fucking guy and his team of designers. When they say do look an R-rated cool version, it's that's what this movie intense. is. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I also staging think- it as a simple like just basic moral play that has very little few moving parts is yeah. not a digression to me but it's gross king what kong. makes the film good it's gross king kong <laughs> it's gross king kong that's fine I, yeah. see i compare it to like fantasia where fantasia is a celebration of animation <laughs> this is a kind of a celebration of gross practical effects but like fantasia i don't really find the story interesting and i don't feel the need to watch it that i much. guess but i would argue yeah. that cronenberg is the right person to have here and there and it is special that i like i understand that the effects team deserves the lion's share of the credit and i see the weakness in writing but in the way that lynch has the pure power to create a disturbing image i never thought of before and i don't know what it means but you got me i'm disturbed um i think cronenberg has the ability to create so like there's a moment in event horizon which i consider a very mediocre film where mm, it's the actually guy bad where the boy gets ejected into space and the devil briefly lets him become himself again so that he can beg his mom like mommy don't send me into space and i'm like okay that one moment there's something about it i get it has this tragic punch that is undeniable and i think cronenberg writes mad like maddening dialogue that makes no sense in any lens but and is weird and makes it seem like he might be a creep in real life but there are these moments of the poignancy like I said, the too bad, too bad moment where I, I'm like, that's not just effects. There's some directorial skill there. And yeah. I do think Cronenberg is, I don't know, a 7.5 of a director or maybe a seven. Um, I like his other movies way better. I know what you mean. It's uh, not yeah, about Cronenberg. History of Violence makes a lot more, whole lot more sense than this. I don't, there are, there are lines where you wonder, what human mind wrote this and thought other humans say this, this is the type of thing a human would say. <laughs> like, like when he says, your problem is you think you woke me up about the flesh, but you can't see past society's sick gray line of what the flesh is. I'm not talking about sexual penetration, penetration beyond the veil of the flesh, dive deep or drink not from the plasma pool. And, um, I think David Cronenberg thinks that sentence makes sense and it doesn't mean anything. It's just <laughs> weird, dude. Like you're just outing yourself as a fucking weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> that you're like, that's what a scientist would say. 
<laughs> the scientist would say, oh, I haven't made the computer crazy enough for the flesh. <laughs> Isn't That's it a reference to the uh, Drink Deep of the Purian Spring? Yeah, the Drink Deep thing, yes. My main thing is that David Cronenberg thinks that humans walk around saying the phrase the flesh a lot more than they do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> People don't use the phrase the flesh that much at all. It but, doesn't yeah. come up very but much. Your, Maybe your comment's we should. still true. It's yeah. true. Uh, but I, I, th- I don't know. Just as a last-ditch effort, like I'm not saying it's good writing. I'm just saying that it makes sense that a detached scientist would talk that way i guess he's weird he's a weird guy he also doesn't want to survive as a as a chemo patient which i think is weirdly insulting to like people who've beaten cancer i won't be another tumorous boar sitting in the hospital whining about my hair falling out whining my aunt beat cancer excuse me fuck you sir her hair fell out who cares and i think you should think that about his character i don't think that that necessarily means that cronenberg thinks that i think cronenberg is actually the opposite he's saying look at this like flawed individual yeah i i don't think goldblum's definitely not the hero from the start no definitely not i don't think he's i never found him charming but he's sympathetic in moments there's moments where you feel bad that this horrible thing is happening to anyone doesn't matter who it is it's so horrible yeah uh like i like um I mean, obviously it's sympathetic when he can say, you have to leave now and never come back here. If you come back here, I'll hurt you. Have you ever heard of insect politics? Neither have I. I'd love to be the first insect politician making deals, thinking reasonably, but um, I'm not. I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man, and I loved it, but now the dream is over and the insect is awake. I'll hurt you if you stay. I, I love that scene. It's amazing to me that he can write such good moments and then in other moments writes dialogue that no human would ever say i guess he's yes. just uneven that's <laughs> what yeah, I'm getting i at. think it's it's just fair to say it's not everyone's cup of tea you know like i don't know he's not the greatest writer but i don't know what that even means you know hmm. i like, think he's writing exactly what he means to i just yeah. think he's a weird fella he's, he's, he's a weird fella that's the best way to say it i would say yeah. he's just a weird fella well plus i do love that the whole movie like a lot of good early movies in directors who have a strong vision their career they make they tend to make at least one movie that's a metaphor for how they make movies like uh what's his name just did it with house the jack built lars von trier um mm. i realized watching this this time uh it's it's Cronenberg writing about what he is and how he likes to make movies. He's going to take disparate elements that have already existed and honor the tradition of filmmaking, but also combine them in a new grotesque way that he's going to shove into your face because he finds it interesting and he hopes you do too. And there's a lot of little subtle nods throughout the movie to the idea that I think Cronenberg is Seth. Or at least I think the fly to Cronenberg. Yeah. I wonder if he knows gymnastics. Is a movie about filmmaking and the filmmaking process, at least in part. Teaching the technology, i.e., the effects team, to summon the horrific otherworldly vision that's in his head. And mm-hmm. he's, you know, he's the manager of it all. Yeah. Speaking of that, I did want to point out something that I found out in my research about this film that really makes me enthusiastically on the side of um, Chris Wallace's incorporate uh, the, you know, the group that made this mm-hmm. uh, what's so they could have made Goonies or got Goonies. They could have made gremlins too. Uh-huh. And they chose not to. In fact, they chose a lower budget uh, with le- more restrictive uh, time restraints and just limitations all around. And it's like a group of like, I don't know how many people, but I assume it's like 10 to 20 or something like that. Um, they chose to do this film after all of those things. And when they were asked, why did you do that? Cause they, like, obviously there's a lot of interviews with them because they got the Academy award and their yeah. response or Chris Wallace's response was, uh, yeah, it just seemed like we'd already done gremlins 
I, we wanted to do the next cool, challenging thing, and this that was makes it. sense for an effects team. Like, and you, oh, yeah. Dave, oh, you and Tom so have cool the to Tremors me. series, and it's so interesting to track all the Tremors films through the point of view of uh, the team of people who are genuinely excited to make new kinds of Tremors or figure out how, without CG, you make a tunnel hump right. appear in the ground. Yeah, and then when they finally cave because of budget and do go CG, but what else remains practical? I love looking at films through the lens of the practical effects team. For it's sure. And I get that with, uh, what's his name? Chris Wallace? Chris yeah. Wallace. Um, can yeah. you, like, I getting off of Gremlins 2 of just like, hey, you want to make the same puppet 50 times, but like one of them's a lady puppet? And one of them, one like, of them Smurf. They're like, no. Yeah, and I one of them has like where I have to glasses. Seven di- unique stages of transformation. Oh, yeah. to dude, fly human. Brundlefly goes through <coughs> wildly different phases. They worked their asses off. Yeah, there's the there's seven, and they yeah. each have very specific. And when you start getting to five, six, seven, like with the full body suit, uh, <laughs> and the, and like the it topper. takes like pounds and pounds of like. Goldblum had yeah. to deal with that shit. Uh, yeah. Oh, and, and it's like a whole it's like a whole Godzilla franchise in one film, which by the way is exactly ninety minutes long. Like it's not even a long movie, but they fit in. They're like he's gonna go from human to fly hands to fly skin to completely fly to his joints turn backwards and his head explodes and a fly head comes out to mecha robot abomination fly and you're like <laughs> yeah. the last one's a topper you didn't even have to do that to win the academy award probably and you did you they melded had, him with the robot for no reason they at the had end. two <laughs> uh they had two names for that version one was brundle booth brundle booth <laughs> brundle the other one uh is the crew you on set called him brundle thing for obvious reasons sure because uh, it's like a thing the thing well, it should have been a pod it's it should have been a pod, pod, but but yeah. whatever. They they're good. They're good with flesh. They're not hey, they're not writers. Words. Yeah, they're carvers of the flesh and yeah. flowers of the flesh. <laughs> they're flowers. <laughs> they're the flowers, baby. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. Um, yeah, it was uh, the Veronica ripping off Seth's jaw in the final transformation sequence. That mm. whole f- final transformation sequence and like the un the un. The the ripping away of his flesh, human flesh, just stop to be, saying flesh. <laughs> it took two weeks flesh. to film. Two weeks, damn. Two weeks because things of went the wrong. part where he totally like essentially his skin does slough off and he's yeah. a fly underneath the final and stage. Yeah, yeah. It took that much time, and uh, Wallace talks about how uh, often things weren't, were like 80 to 90% ready when they were brought on the set because they were just constantly going super, super fast. Sure. Uh, and they just had to like make it work because of the shooting schedule. And like they, he still stands by it. He's still like, yeah, it was, um, good. You better be proud of it. I'm it's proud a of a lot of it, but like yeah. there's a lot of stuff that if we had more time, which is like, I, I just think that that's, that's a like, true craftsman. That's true a true craftsman. always exactly. going to say, if I could do it again, I'd do it better, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. I did. It, I, I think I did a great job with the time that I was given, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, it's just so great. It's just so fucking great. I was bummed about his jaw getting ripped off because uh, the funniest thing to me was that he kept becoming this monster, but he still sounded like Jeff Goldblum. Right. And which then, yeah, I, like, was hilarious to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted it to be this like hideous creature, but he still got that charming Jeff Goldblum uh, voice. Yeah. The I'm whole time. Uh, um, becoming a, 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 a fly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, your vocal cords have maintained really well throughout imagine, this process. <laughs> imagine a remake of this where a sound designer got to design with the same kind of. Just take the waveforms and add effects and shit to with it. With like yeah. stages of you know yeah. digital effects that they could put on. To oh, they the could do sounds. a great super invasive remaster of this, and it would be appropriate to mutate this film into a different film. Like I, I would like a the fly remaster that fucked with it. That would be cool. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I'm gonna wrap it up. Unless so, this is last call for final fly thoughts. My final fly thought is <laughs> yes, people sh- people should just watch the original. Um, Only? You don't yeah, think this well, is okay. worth watching? 
this is this is why I kept bringing up the originals because I watched this version first, the the nineteen eighty what is it six six, um, and I remember being like, oh, that was a lot of fun, and then you go back and you watch the original, and it's it's like. It's like watching the Psycho remake before Psycho to me, where it's like, oh, th- oh, okay, this is the version that's really good. This is why it's a phenomenon or notable. Yeah, yeah. Like this is the story. This is the better story of this premise. I would have pegged you for a huge Cronenberg guy. I I don't mind Cronenberg. I love the effects, but yeah, I I think it needs to be more than that. I think about like the thing where the thing has. A gnarly fucking practical effects. I love practical effects, but it also has great characters and like a fun story, and it yeah. has a psychological aspect of paranoia. Whereas this is just it's just gross effect after gross effect, and I don't get much from the characters or story. So, but it also like, has an eighties nineties computer at an Arctic research station able to immediately yeah. accurately predict the spread of a pandemic. Which makes oh, yeah. so little sense it, that it oh, almost the ruins the movie. Yeah, when Brimley yeah. is looking at the computer and he just hits a couple buttons on the keyboard and it goes, at this rate, everyone will, on Earth will be a thing in 48 hours. And you're like, how the fuck would you know that, Arctic Research right. Computer? That makes no fucking sense whatsoever. <laughs> it's it's such a weird thing to give Wilford Brimley. Yeah. But my I guess my ultimate thought on this is that no matter what era it's made, like if a movie is just effects, then it it just it I it's it's inferior to me. Okay. Like whether it's CGI or practical effects, like you I can like the effects, but if you strip away the effects, the 1986 Fly is a very unambitious, not that impressive film. It yeah. is but I would argue that they went into it knowing that. They almost didn't make too much movie because they didn't want to get in the way of the effects. Exactly. Yeah. So I accept it as a choice. Yeah, yeah I don't think they – I think it was on purpose. But, man, you sure. got me. Like, I want to go watch the 50s one now right after we hang up. <laughs> yeah. But you've burned me before. Mm. Yeah, he does that. Well, Dave is so full of joy, you'll like a movie – and I'll watch it and I'd be like, you are too charitable. Fuck these people. <laughs> but I just think you're able to suck the joy out of more things than I am. Thank you. A broader range of things. Um, you know, the flesh. The dance of the flesh and the love yeah. of the flesh. <laughs> it's all about the flesh. That's what it's we all say all about all about Dave. the flesh. Um, he loves that flesh. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to say thanks again to Aaron Booten or, in what case it, this is how it's pronounced, Aaron Bouton. There's no real way to tell just from the spelling. But um, thank you, uh, person, ma'am or sir, or however you identify. Maybe you're a fly, and that's why you suggested this movie. But we really appreciate it. As uh, Off Hours has gone on hiatus, and we're still trying to uh, keep Small Beans going, all the people who join at the Pick the Flick tier are very greatly appreciated. And we have some more Picked Flicks coming up soon. Which means uh, it's kind of fun because you get to hear us talk about movies that aren't just the Coen Brothers movies or movies you'd expect us to talk about, um, but a wider range of interesting films. And thanks again to Dave. Thank you for having me. From what I consider our sister feed. Uh, Yeah, let's now that we got the tech side figured out. Oh, yeah. Full disclosure, Dave uh, was very patient for half an hour while I figured out how to make this all work. From San Francisco. I enjoyed our conversation. Good. That's great. Yeah. I was having a nice time. Me too. I just, uh, yeah. I want, I was hoping after I moved up here that I'd talk to everyone even more often on streams and on the phone and stuff. So it's nice to hear that that's not annoying. (laughs) Yeah. You're lovely. You're lovely. Let's just talk sometime when we're not, when we're not being recorded. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And how about that Doc Garby with all those bad fan arts? Those are cool, too. Oh, it's too. so good. Yeah, he's yeah. great. <laughs> all right. Uh, Dave, please plug your pluggables in the slim, slim chance that someone doesn't know Gamefully Unemployed. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I, I have a, a, we have a sister podcast network with uh, Tom Ryman called Gamefully Unemployed. You can check us out at patreon.com slash gamefully unemployed. We have exclusive podcasts on there. 
Uh, it's all it's all on there. Just go there yeah. and you'll get a bunch of information about us. I found myself thinking of Seth Brundle much the way that you guys think of Agent Mulder in this walkthrough. Mm. Like I was using the same analytical tools you apply to Fox Mulder as a maniac. A great exclusive show over at Gamefully oh, Unemployed. It's one of my Thank favorites. You. Yeah. Thank you. It's a great idea. You guys are hilarious. Yeah. It's hella fun. All right. I think that's it. Yeah. Abe. Okay. Love you, nothing. buddy. Nothing. Yeah, I get, I, you can get nothing from me. Talk soon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stop recording now. This has been a Small Beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you.